Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Hold on to your butts. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 57, Jurassic Park. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. I hope you're all continuing to be safe and well uh, during these ridiculously crazy times that we're all going through at the moment and whether this is your first episode of Verbal Diorama or your 57th, um, thank you so much for joining me, um, especially today. Because this is a very special episode. Um, and I don't mean like a very special episode of Saved by the Bell, where it was about underage drinking or drugs. Um, I mean, this is a very special episode of Verbal Diorama. Because if you're downloading this on release day, then you are downloading it on my birthday. Because today is my birthday. Uh, uh, last year, I also put out a special episode on my birthday. And that was The Iron Giant. And I kind of thought to myself, well, how do I top the Iron Giant? Um, because not only is it one of the greatest animated movies ever made, the Iron Giant himself is incredibly big. Uh, and to be honest, there was only really one contender. And that was the daddy of all dinosaur movies. Or actually, should that be the mummy of all dinosaur movies, thinking of it? Uh, Jurassic Park. Um, and so I've pulled out all the stops, really, to get this episode out to you guys on my birthday and I really hope that you enjoy it. Um, some of you may or may not know that it was the death of my granddad at Christmas 2018 which was the catalyst for me actually getting this podcast off the ground and I made him a promise that I would do this podcast 
And Jurassic Park was one of those childhood memories um, of my grandparents taking me and my brother to the cinema, which was quite a rarity when I was a kid uh, because going to the cinema was a real treat. Um, And my grandma and granddad taking us to see Jurassic Park was defining for me for so many reasons, Um, mainly because it created my love of cinema, really. Um, And it's a movie that still fills me with just this wide-eyed wonderment. Um, And the fact it holds up almost 30 years later um, is really testament to the genius of Steven Spielberg and Michael Crichton and Mary Shelley. Um, So let's go into it. Uh, Welcome to Jurassic Park. And I've spent the last five years setting up a kind of biological preserve. What kind of park is this? We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. There's a dinosaur. There's no doubt our attractions will drive kids out of their minds. Grandpa! We're going to make a fortune with this place. We're going to open next year. That is if the lawyers don't kill me first. What species is it? It's a velociraptor. park will open with the basic tour you're about to take. Don't you see the danger shown inherent in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen. You wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. These are aggressive living things that have no idea what century they're in, and they'll defend themselves violently if necessary. Dinosaurs are two species separated by 65 million years of evolution just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea what to expect? Hey, what did I touch? Uh, we didn't touch anything. We stopped. Anybody hear that? I tell you, it's an impact term is what it is. Maybe it's the power we're trying to come back on. What the hell are Princes are failing all over the park. Are you hearing this? The shutdown must have turned off all offenses. Fairly alarmed here. Hold on to your butt. Oh no. Jurassic Park back online. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. Come on, come on, come on. We gotta get out of here. Gotta get out of here. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. Which is just a delay. That's all it is. All major theme parks have delays. But John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Illusion. Boy, I hate being 
right all the time. Paleontologists Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler and chaos mathematician Dr. Ian Malcolm are among a select group chosen to tour an island theme park populated by dinosaurs created from prehistoric DNA. While the park's mastermind, billionaire John Hammond, assures everyone that this facility is safe in order to get the professional endorsement and even invites his young grandchildren along for the test run, they find out otherwise when a system sabotage by a disgruntled employee sets the ferocious predators free and they go on the hunt. So the cast for this movie uh, is, obviously, I don't think I need to go through it, but I'm gonna, uh, Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant, Laura Dern as Dr. Ellie Sattler, Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm, Richard Attenborough as John Hammond, Bob Peck as Robert Muldoon, Joseph Mazzello as Tim Murphy, Ariana Richards as Lex Murphy, Samuel Jackson as Ray Arnold, Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry, Martin Ferrero as Donald Gennaro and B.D. Wong as Dr. Henry Wu. The screenplay was written by Michael Crichton and David Cope and it was based on Jurassic Park, the novel by Michael Crichton. And of course, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. So the story of Jurassic Park starts with Michael Crichton, as everyone knows, but it was a trip to Disneyland which actually inspired the idea of a theme park gone wrong. It was while watching the animatronic Abraham Lincoln at Disneyland's Hall of Presidents that Crichton began dreaming up his 1973 movie and subsequent 2016 onwards TV show, Westworld. Westworld was Michael Crichton's directorial debut, as well as writing the screenplay and was about a futuristic Western-themed amusement park with cyborgs who start malfunctioning and killing visitors to the park. You'd kind of think Michael Crichton has a thing about theme parks turning on their visitors, but I digress. He originally conceived a screenplay about a graduate student who creates a living dinosaur in 1983 before starting to write the novel Jurassic Park, which used the concept of fiction as fact, something he previously touched on in his previous novels, Eaters of the Dead and The Andromeda Strain. It would explore and critique the dystopian potentialities of science, the ethics and morals behind having the scientific power to create, and in doing so, have underlying themes of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, the idea of humans creating but not knowing what they're creating. As there's no real pressing need for one single person, college graduate or not, to create a dinosaur, the idea became somewhat merged with Westworld, the concept of a theme park with a desire to entertain, but instead of cyborgs, the theme park would be like an amalgamation of a modern zoo and a safari park, but purely inhabited by extinct animals. This need to entertain the general public and make money, regardless of the cost, would be the driving force behind Jurassic Park and lead to future similarities between Jurassic Park and Jaws, also based on a novel, that novel was by Peter Benchley, and also containing characters who seem to put profits and capitalism before safety and honesty. The comparisons between Jaws and the current COVID-19 crisis have been made, and if you want a great podcast on Jaws, I'd highly recommend Friends of the Pod, The Midnight Myth, who recently did an episode on Jaws, and it's fantastic. So please go and listen to that. But the comparisons between Jaws, there are very many with Jurassic Park, and it's highly likely that I will be making further comparisons to Jaws. Before Jurassic Park was even published, Steven Spielberg learned of it while the two men discussed another screenplay, Crichton had written, which would become the TV show ER. Before publication of Jurassic Park, Crichton demanded a non-negotiable $1.5 million for the film rights, as well as a percentage of the gross. 
Despite many big studios, including Warner Brothers uh, with Tim Burton as director, Sony with Richard Donner as director and 20th Century Fox with Joe Dante as director, all being interested in Jurassic Park, it was Universal who acquired the rights with Steven Spielberg on board as director. And they also offered an additional $500,000 to Michael Crichton to write the screenplay, which would end up being rewritten by Malia Scotch-Marmo in October 1991, Spielberg wasn't very happy with the script as it was and Universal President Casey Silver recommended David Cope, who was co-writer of Death Becomes Her, who started afresh from Marmo's draft and tried to make it more of a character-driven piece, including Ian's flirting with Ellie and making John Hammond into more of a sympathetic grandfather-type figure. Jurassic Park the novel would end up being published in November 1990. It became Crichton's signature novel. Uh, he'd also write other book-to-film adaptations, including Congo, Sphere, Disclosure, The Lost World, and Twister. Uh, Michael Crichton passed away on the 4th of November 2008 of lymphoma. We might as well take the opportunity to go through some of the differences between Crichton's book and the movie. Uh, Crichton himself stated that the script only had about 10 to 20% of the novel's content. Um, and of course, with Crichton co-writing the screenplay himself, there can't be much, if any, argument that this isn't truly Jurassic Park. Um, it's actually one of the few book-to-movie adaptations that's widely seen as superior. Uh, but the movie did tone down the violence uh, considerably to appeal to a family audience. So some of the gruesome stuff cut include Dennis Nedry carrying his own intestines, Henry Wu being eaten alive by raptors, Robert Muldoon firing a rocket launcher, cutting a raptor in half. Uh, and that's just some of it. <laughs> some movies really do benefit from that R rating, but Jurassic Park was already a reasonably scary uh, PG uh, and it relies more on implied horror and scares. And that sometimes can be more effective than Blood and Guts. Uh, the movie version of Ellie has a larger role and gets to be the hero of the story. Without Ellie turning on the power in the park, they'd all be goners. Um, the fact that Ellie is not only a female lead, but also a woman in STEM, who relishes in her profession as well as her personal feelings, whether they be platonic or romantic towards Alan Grant, Ellie having more of a role was defining for me as a kid. To see a female scientist who knew what she was talking about, as well as restoring the power to the park and evading raptors. Um, the female characters actually having agency in this movie um, and not just being damsels in distress was a really big deal for me. Alan's character is more dynamic and more apparent to change. Uh, in the film, uh, as opposed to the book, he dislikes children and he does effectively traumatise a small child at the Badlands with his raptor knowledge. Um, but he grows throughout the movie to be a father figure and protects young Lex and Tim as he takes them under his wing um, as they try to reunite with the other characters. The characters of Lex and Tim are age-swapped, so Lex is younger and more dino-obsessed in the book. Although... Again, seeing a young girl who could program or hack, as she called it, um, was amazing for me. And I'm not going to suggest outright that the characters of Ellie and Lex got me into a career in STEM, but they certainly didn't hinder my leanings into the IT field. And the age swap in the movie was mostly done because Joseph Masello had auditioned for a role in Spielberg's previous movie, Hook but he was actually considered too young for that character. Uh, and Spielberg was so impressed uh, with young Joseph Mazzello that he promised him they would work together. And when the character of Tim came around, Spielberg actually made Tim the younger character so that Joseph Mazzello could work on the movie. According to Ariana Richards, her audition included a scream and hers was so pronounced that Spielberg's wife 
woke up upon hearing it thinking someone was genuinely in danger and that scream is the reason Ariana Richards got this role. And just on a by note as well, the screams in this movie, you believe them. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of good reasons why, but I'll come to that in a little bit. So uh, just some of the changes um, from between the book and the movie. So the book begins with the murder of a small child by a group of, oh my God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pronounce this right. <laughs> I'm having a go at myself because I'm not going to pronounce this right. Um, Procomp Sognathus. Yeah, those ones. Um, <laughs> the movie begins with the transportation and eventual murder of a worker moving a velociraptor into its cage. Uh, the scene with the murder of a small child by, I think they're called compies in the movie. Oh, we're just going to call them compies. So that scene would be introduced into The Lost World instead, which was the sequel. The character of John Hammond is not a nice guy in the novel. Uh, you could say he's a bit of a raving lunatic. Uh, he ends up being eaten alive by, I'm not going to say them, compies. I'm just going to call them compies. But the lawyer who dies in the movie by the T-Rex, John Gennaro, he survives. Uh, Dr. Henry Wu is more prevalent in the novel, uh, which is one of the reasons why fans were so hyped for B.D. Wong's announced return to the franchise for Jurassic World, uh, because Henry Wu is quite a major character in the book. And probably most importantly for the movie, Ian Malcolm survives the T-Rex attack. Um, he's not so fortunate in the book, however, because he's attacked by the T-Rex and he's given morphine after being injured. And that basically gives him this slow descent into madness and he just succumbs to his injuries before help arrives. Considering Jeff Goldblum's role is probably one of the most iconic in the whole movie. I mean, there's a lot of iconic roles in this movie, but Jeff Goldblum is probably more so. Um, and also his return to The Lost World, um, which interestingly, uh, I found out that Michael Crichton actually chose to resurrect the character for that novel uh, because Crichton obviously wrote The Lost World after the success of Jurassic Park. And he actually resurrected Ian Malcolm. While the book ends on a depressing and traumatising note, uh, the movie obviously ends a lot happier. In the novel, the Costa Rican Air Force napalm Isla Nublar uh, and the escapees are essentially detained for questioning for an inordinate amount of time. A lot of the changes made for Jurassic Park between the book and the movie end up in later films in the franchise. Um, so, for example, the island, while not bombed, is destroyed in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And a scene where Alan, Lex and Tim ride a raft down the river to evade a T-Rex is retooled in Jurassic Park 3 with the Spinosaurus. Quite famously, Harrison Ford was offered the role of Alan Grant as well as William Hurt before Sam Neill was cast three or four weeks before production started. Jim Carrey auditioned for Ian Malcolm before Jeff Goldblum was cast. Laura Dern was Steven Spielberg's first choice for Ellie, but Robin Wright was given the opportunity to play the role and she turned it down. I mentioned earlier about Ariana Richards' scream. Uh, Christina Ricci also auditioned for the role of Lex, but Joseph Mazzello was the only kid in contention for Tim, as I said, after his disappointment at a failed audition for Hook, uh, which Spielberg actually worked on while Crichton wrote the first draft of the screenplay for Jurassic Park, um, which I adore, by the way. I love Hook, so expect Hook on this podcast probably sometime next year because I would be very, very excited to look into Hook. Filming began on the 24th of August 1992 on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. 
Spielberg had considered filming on location in Costa Rica, but worried about the infrastructure and accessibility. He has previously worked in Hawaii and felt comfortable there. A three-week shoot for Isla Nublar's forests was interrupted by Hurricane Iniki, and several storm scenes in the movie were shot during this actual hurricane. Samuel L. Jackson was set to shoot a lengthy death scene, but the set ended up being destroyed by Hurricane Iniki, and so the death of Ray Arnold occurred off-screen, and is safe to say it's a lot more effective and scary. The kitchen scenes were filmed at stage 24 of the Universal Studio lot and were carefully planned by cinematographer Dean Cundy to use black cloth to hide light reflections on the highly reflective surfaces. Dean Cundy was also the cinematographer for The Thing, that's episode 48 by the way, and there are more links to The Thing coming up. I'll tell you that now. Other scenes filmed on the lot include Alan's rescue of Tim from the dangling Ford Explorer and the encounter in the trees with the Brachiosaurus. Uh, Those Ford Explorers, they had the drivers in the boot, uh, aka the trunk for the American listeners, to give the impression of autonomous vehicles. Uh, Red Rock Canyon was also used to film the initial scenes with the dinosaur dig in Montana. There were consultant paleontologists on set, um, but they couldn't actually agree on the physics of the dinosaurs, especially when it came to running. Uh, Animator Steve Williams came up with a T-Rex that could run at 60 miles an hour at a push, despite scientific evidence stating that its bones couldn't handle that sort of speed. The science of Jurassic Park, well, it's tentative at best. (laughs) Um, I mean, let's quickly go through some of the science. Uh, And I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I enjoy reading about science. I enjoy... I enjoy the science of genetics. I enjoy biological science. Um, And so all of this information I've gathered from online is not from my own personal knowledge of science. But um, the featured dinosaurs uh, mostly weren't actually from the Jurassic era for a start. But Cretaceous Park just doesn't seem to have the same ring to it. Uh, The movie explains that they extract dinosaur DNA from preserved mosquitoes in amber. But scientists state that you would actually need the whole genome. The process they use is less creation and more cloning. Michael Crichton actually went into extraordinary lengths in his original novel to explain how the science should theoretically work. And this theory is based on real scientific research, but DNA itself isn't immortal. It decays after time and mammoth DNA at 4,000 years old would be more likely to be a candidate for DNA cloning. In addition, the process involves replacing the missing parts of the sequence of the dinosaur DNA with frogs. In reality, this wouldn't make dinosaurs, but probably more like massive frog-like dino-beast hybrids or something. I mean, that would be quite interesting to have in a theme park, but I don't think anyone really wants that. I mean, the science is probably not something that most casual viewers are bothered by because it's a movie. It's not supposed to be scientifically accurate. What is reasonably accurate is the idea that single sex environments can randomly change their sex. It's actually been seen in whiptail lizards who are all female but reproduce asexually. Additionally, parthenogenesis, which is the process of an unfertilised egg hatching, has been observed in Komodo dragons, who, coincidentally, are closely related to dinosaurs. There's a reason Jurassic Park still holds up, and a reason it still resonates with audiences and still feels scarily real. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know what I'm coming to, because you will know that that this podcast, and me, by extension of being host of this podcast, um is a massive fan of practical effects. 
and the practical effects, which were seamlessly mixed with CG. Um, I mean, bearing in mind, this movie is 27 years old and it looks better than some movies that are half that age. Um, And for that, we have Stan Winston to thank. I have mentioned Stan Winston before, uh, after he stepped in to assist unaccredited on the thing, but listing movies Stan Winston has been involved in, it'd probably be easier to list those that he's not been involved with. Um, In his 40-year career in the film industry, he worked regularly with James Cameron, John Carpenter, Tim Burton, Steven Spielberg, obviously, Robert Zemeckis and John Favreau on blockbusters like Aliens, Edward Scissorhands, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Batman Returns, Avatar and Iron Man. Stan Winston won four Oscars in his career and was nominated for six others. Having Stan Winston on your movie gave it credence and the T-Rex really was the crowning achievement of Stan Winston's career. It was life-sized and started life as a one-fifth scale clay sculpture. Uh, Steven Spielberg put his total faith in Stan Winston, surmising that if he could build a 14-foot tall alien queen, then they could pull off a 20-foot tall T-Rex. I mean, of course, the main difference between the alien queen and the dinosaurs was that the alien queen was exoskeletal. They could have her hard external surface and keep the internals light. They had no real creatures to base her off um, because, I mean, aliens may or may not be real. I don't think many people have seen them and they certainly haven't seen one that looks like the alien queen. And if they have, then, I mean, Jesus Christ, that's scary. Um, When it came to the dinosaurs and realistic depictions aside, because it's quite well known that velociraptors aren't that big and probably had feathers they were building interpretations of real living creatures the sort of creatures that kids learn about in books they had to look as much like these pictures in these books as possible so that meant things like realistic skin realistic eyes muscles uh, movement and the appearance of weight the stan winston school team projected the silhouette of the one-fifth scale model onto a large sheet of plywood to trace the outline of the full-size creature. It was so big, they had to expand the studio, hire another building, and raise the ceiling of that building. Unlike Jaws, the dinosaurs would be front and centre of Jurassic Park, despite only having just under 15 minutes of actual screen time. Still, that's more than Bruce the Shark ever got. And also, the dinosaurs would have to be believable living animals. When it came to the T-Rex, the so a full-size plywood bulkhead segments were cut and numbered and attached to an aluminium frame with enough space in between to accommodate the mechanics required to move the T-Rex around. It was then covered with chicken wire, clay with a layer of fiberglass as a kind of protective skin painted on top to keep everything underneath it contained. Every skin crease, every muscle texture had to be painstakingly sculpted onto the clay body. The supporting armature was built to withstand three tonnes of Roma clay, which was oil-based to remain pliable throughout the 16-week sculpting process. The creature's foam rubber outer skin would actually cause an issue during filming, as when it got wet, it would soak up water, increasing the weight of the model and causing the creature to quake. The crew had to dry the model with chamois leather between takes. The seamless transition between real model and CG is best seen in the iconic T-Rex escape scene where the dinosaur realises the fences are no longer electric, spots the waiting cars and goes over to have a look. So Alan Grant knows that this dinosaur's vision is based on movement so tells Ian Malcolm to stay still but the children are in the other car and they have no idea. Lex gets the idea to scare the dinosaur away with a torch 
As the T-Rex looks into Grant and Malcolm's car, it's the full-scale model. As the camera pans away to the other car, the dinosaur remains out of frame for a split second, and that is when the CG dinosaur takes over to walk to the other car. And the way that it's done is it actually uses the frame of the car. The way that Spielberg frames the encounter through this kind of wet glass within the frame, it really focuses your eye and it gives you this additional feeling of claustrophobia. When the animatronic dinosaur attacks Lex and Tim's car, their screams are genuine because the dinosaur wasn't meant to come through the roof. So when it did, the reaction was of genuine fear and it was kept in the movie. The famous water ripples were inspired by Spielberg listening to Earth, Wind and Fire and the uh, bass being quite high on uh, the tracks that he was listening to. Uh, And they were actually achieved by guitar strings in the car, which were plucked by a man on the floor. Post-Jurassic Park, Stan Winston co-founded visual effects and digital production company Digital Domain with James Cameron and Scott Ross in 1993. Digital Domain have been in charge of so many effects for so many movies going forward there's just too many to list um but unfortunately stan winston passed away in 2008 as well of multiple myeloma so the dinosaurs actually featured on screen include alamosaurus that's the skeleton in the visitor center brachiosaurus uh, dilophosaurus uh, which actually didn't spit in real life uh, but this version spit a concoction of methicil and ky jelly delightful gallimimus parasaurolophus in the background with the brachiosaurus triceratops obviously depicted as sick that was operated by eight puppeteers and was the first dinosaur filmed uh and that's probably the reason why when they first see this dinosaur the the actors have a genuine look of surprise and excitement and awe on their faces because that was probably the first time they were looking at that dinosaur and can you imagine being on a set of a movie knowing it's about dinosaurs, but seeing that dinosaur for real. I mean, it just must must have been incredible for them. Obviously, Tyrannosaurus and Velociraptor were the final breeds involved. The Utah Raptor was actually discovered just before the release of the movie, which actually was similar to the Velociraptor style that they used in the movie obviously velociraptors in real life were more chicken sized but utah raptor was actually a similar kind of size uh, a similar look a little bit larger than the velociraptor seen in the movie the noises for the dinosaurs were created by sound designer gary rydstrom and were a mixture of various animal noises such as whales donkeys hawks howler monkeys cows african cranes tortoises tigers alligators dogs walruses geese among other animals, basically, um, as well as human noises, gunshots, car crashes and rain. Famously, Phil Tippett is listed as dinosaur supervisor, which created so many internet memes. It's unbelievable. Um, with a history in stop motion animation, you'll remember him from episode 16, uh, which was on Willow and his stop motion Ebosisk that he created for that movie. He co-developed an animation technique called Go Motion which was used to animate the Atats and the Tauntauns in The Empire Strikes Back, and he went on to lead Lucasfilm's Creature Shop. Go Motion was a variation of stop-motion animation, which incorporated motion blur into each frame involving motion. It used rod puppets attached to motors linked to computers, which record the movements as the puppet is traditionally animated. When enough movements have been made, the model is reset, the camera rolls, and the model goes through the movements, and this creates the motion blur. Because of Tippett's understanding of stop motion, as well as animal behaviour and motion, 
He was hired by Steven Spielberg to supervise the animation process of the CG dinosaurs. This is where the dinosaur supervisor bit comes in. There is no stop motion animation in Jurassic Park, but his unit, along with Industrial Light of Magic, did create dinosaur input devices, which were elaborate dinosaur models, and they were used to act out scenes of the raptors and Gallimimus. ILM feature on this podcast a lot, and for good reason, because when you have ILM doing the CG in your movie, you can pretty much guarantee it'll be awesome. Famously, in the scene where Lex Murphy falls through the roof grate, the stunt person accidentally looked up. ILM digitally grafted Ariana Richards' face onto the stunt person, but the actual rendering of the dinosaurs itself took two to four hours per frame. Uh, Rendering the T-Rex in the rain took six hours per frame. And the T-Rex, as the star of the show was actually originally meant to die at the claws of the raptors. But Spielberg changed the ending for the T-Rex to be the hero and kill the raptors about to kill the humans. Well, while also roaring in celebration as the banner falls down around her. Um, We find out as well in Jurassic World that that actual T-Rex is still going strong. Obviously, I mentioned that the T-Rex was female uh, and there's a reason because all of the dinosaurs in this movie are female. I've also mentioned about Ellie and Lex and making the heroes of the story female. But there's also a little bit of female imagery in this movie that I think is really worth talking about. So the theme of dinosaurs eating man and woman inheriting the earth isn't just a badass Ellie Sattler line, although it is pretty great. Females are the key to Jurassic Park's dinosaurs and heroes. As I said, female imagery is present throughout, such as Alan Grant's two female seatbelts. Steven Spielberg did what Michael Crichton didn't. He gave the female characters of Jurassic Park agency and drive at a time when stakes are high and pressure is higher. Without Ellie restoring power and Lex restoring the systems, they would not have escaped Jurassic Park. All of the scientists in the world couldn't stop Jurassic Park going offline. The scientists of Jurassic Park are seen as mostly male, intend to make all the dinosaurs female to control and authorise breeding. Now, men controlling women's ability to breed is not a topic that I'm willing to go into right now. But the female dinosaurs of Jurassic Park are not to be contained by mere men. Because they're smarter than that. The seatbelt is actually the perfect case of foreshadowing. Because despite being two females, it finds a way to blend together. It's also a lovely omen of what's to come. Because despite Hammond's insistence that they spared no expense, that doesn't mean helicopter seatbelts can't go wrong. Right, so over to another segment that I like to do called the obligatory Keanu reference. This is a little segment that I do to try and link the movie that I'm featuring to Keanu Reeves. Sometimes it's really easy, sometimes it's really not. And I'll be honest, this is a tenuous link. Just really, really tenuous. Probably one of the worst ones. Jurassic Park was released six weeks after Keanu's role as Don John in Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing is one of the most financially successful Shakespeare films ever released. Um, There is a bit of a link here uh, talking about Shakespeare and there's a bit of a link to the episode that I'm going to be covering next. So, I mean, look, Much Ado About Nothing, it's no Jurassic Park levels of success and as I said, it's a tenuous link. But you know what? It's my birthday so I can make it tenuous today And I know that wherever he is, Keanu is wishing me a happy birthday. So that is all that I need. (laughs) That is it. Uh, Music-wise, so for Jurassic Park, obviously this is a John Williams score. And when you have John Williams scoring your movie, 
you just know it's going to be iconic. Um, and he really wanted to elicit the joy, wonder and overwhelming awe of seeing a dinosaur for the first time in the flesh. And to be honest, it doesn't just make you feel that awe the first time. It makes you feel it every time. Um, similarly, with the fear, suspense and horror uh, when the dinosaurs get out. Um, it's something that this movie does remarkably well. The score is truly, truly great. Uh, it's truly one of the greats that I think John Williams has ever done. Jurassic Park's marketing was as supersized as the dinos themselves. There were deals with 100 companies to market 1,000 products, uh, including three video games, a toy line, McDonald's meals and novelizations. The tagline, An Adventure 65 Million Years in the Making, is now seen as one of the great movie taglines, along with the poster, which is very minimalist, only showing a Tyrannosaur skeleton, but again, seen as one of the greatest movie posters ever made. The movie even has its own meta gag about merchandise. Uh, it shows shelves of lunchboxes and toys and t-shirts, predicting the mass merchandise that would be, and still is, available for Jurassic Park, even to this day. I actually bought a pair of Jurassic Park pyjamas uh, just recently <laughs> and I love them. So um, Jurassic Park is still the sort of thing that people want to buy. Jurassic Park premiered on the 9th of June 1993 at the Upton Theatre, Washington DC, in support of two children's charities before a wide US release on the 11th of June 1993, where it went to number one in the US box office and stayed there for three weeks. Jurassic Park actually spent a total of 71 weeks in the US box office charts. I don't know, actually, if that is a record, but it is quite astonishing that it spent that long in the charts. It was released once again in 2011 for the Blu-ray release, in 2013 for the 20th anniversary release, and also in 2018 for the 25th anniversary. The recent coronavirus crisis has created a resurgence of drive-in cinemas, many of which have shown Jurassic Park as part of a movie classics selection. This additional release made it the first time a reissue has topped the box office since The Lion King in September 2011. At the time of its release, it became the highest grossing film of all time, obviously since surpassed. In its initial run in cinemas in 1993, it grossed $912.6 million worldwide, which has actually grown to $1.029 billion with subsequent re-releases. It currently ranks as the 40th highest grossing film of all time. Jurassic Park would be nominated for and end up winning three Academy Awards at the 66 Academy Awards in 1994 for Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Sound and Best Visual Effects. It would also win a Best Special Effects BAFTA. We have to talk a little bit about the sequels. So in 1997, uh, The Lost World Jurassic Park was released. And in 2001, Jurassic Park 3. Jurassic Park 3, I think, is kind of seen as probably one of the worst. The Lost World Jurassic Park, I think, is reasonably fun, actually. But I think it's very difficult to replicate the splendour and grandeur of the original. Uh, the series was kind of semi-rebooted in 2015 with Jurassic World, which, as I've mentioned, uh, I think is a fun movie. I actually think it's okay. Uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out in 2018, and there is another movie coming out. It's called Jurassic World Dominion, and it's set to be released in 2021. And this stars original cast members Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum. 
Jeff Goldblum obviously cameoed in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom as well. I'm not going to dwell on the sequels all too much. They're there. Uh, (laughs) There's like a sliding scale of acceptability. Nothing is ever going to be as good as Jurassic Park because Jurassic Park was the first one. Um, I certainly don't think that any of them are terrible. Uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Jurassic Park 3. I would say out of all of them, I think Jurassic World is probably the one that I would choose to watch. There was so much potential in Jurassic World. um, And I I do really appreciate what they tried to do with it. Um, And I like Chris Pratt. I think Chris Pratt is a lot of fun to watch. Um, But they even kind of resurrect the having kids in the movie. And I understand why that movies like this do have kids. Because they want to have characters that young kids can see in the movie as being their eyes. And I appreciate that. I was a child when I watched Jurassic Park. I am not a child watching Jurassic World. And I fully appreciate that there will be kids out there who saw Jurassic World and think it's the best dinosaur movie in the world. And you know what? If a kid thinks Jurassic World is fantastic, I am not going to turn around and tell them that they're wrong. Because kids should be free to like what they like. But when I was a kid growing up watching Jurassic Park, there really is no comparison. But I'm not kind of here to stamp on the sequels. Um, I'm here to talk about Jurassic Park. So, uh, So on that thought, let's go over to social media because something that I like to do is I like to put the feelers out on social media and ask people who follow me on social media what they think of the movie that I'm featuring. And obviously... I wanted to know what people thought about Jurassic Park and I expected uh, quite a few comments. Obviously, I got them and I expected positive comments and and that's mostly what I got. So um, going over to Twitter, at Pulp Serial said, I feel like a lot of people around my age spent their childhood re-watching Amblin films to the point where they memorised them. We didn't. We would catch the Indiana Jones movies and Jurassic Park on TV, but we didn't own them. I really like it now, but it's not super nostalgic. At Geek Salad Radio said, While the dialogue ranges from good to let me explain how 90s computer hacking works, Jurassic Park gave me a cinematic moment I wish I could replicate for my kids. Seeing the immense size and scale of the first dinosaur for the first time made my jaw drop in genuine awe. At NFTDT said, Having rewatched this recently, it didn't disappoint. What a great film that holds the test of time. I have to say, Laura Dern's scream acting is hilarious, but she puts in one hell of a performance. Timmy getting electrocuted still makes me chuckle, and rewatching it, I love how it's Lex and Ellie that save the day. The men just get them there. Coupled with the amazing Jeff Goldblum, and one of the best quotes in film, what a great movie. At Movies Work said, Amazing movie, rare example of drastically changing the book working. Making off with James L. Jones is also a must-watch. At BLC Agnew said, I've loved movies for as long as I can remember, but Jurassic Park was the film that got me interested in how movies are made. An all-time matinee adventure with groundbreaking effects, excellent characters, perfect pacing, and one of John Williams' best scores. At AFC Film Geek said, A movie that I felt deserved a repeat cinema trip at the time. In regards to animatronics, a film way ahead of its time and should be a reason for less special effects in movies. Like Jaws, it's a masterpiece. To this day, has not been bettered in its genre. At Black Girls Do Stuff said, 
Jurassic Park is one of my faves. Hot Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Jackson, a T-Rex and my fave, the Velociraptors. This was one me, my brother and my cousins went to see and all of us had to be coddled at one point of being terrified. Lol. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. I was terrified when I saw Jurassic Park with my grandparents. A JC Stew said... Saw it on the big screen this past weekend. The effects, the animatronics and the score are all magnificent, as is the pacing. The first hour is dedicated to wonder and slowly ratcheting tension. So when things go bad, an hour in, it's even more impactful. A perfect blockbuster. At Sophia underscore etc said, Have some mixed feelings on Spielberg now, but Jurassic Park was the first movie I watched that filled me with awe. Watching it now always feels like the first time. Richard Attenborough is perfect as John Hammond. Over on Instagram, at Sophie Boog said, Dave and I have just been to watch it at an outdoor cinema. It was bloody fantastic. It's a classic film that will never age in my book. The music makes my tummy flip still. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it because it's been that many. I'm so excited for your episode. Oh, thanks, Soph. I have to add, actually, that Sophie is Sophie from Not For The Dinner Table and uh, up above at NFTDT was Dave at Not For The Dinner Table. So this is a Not For The Dinner Table endorsed episode, which I am very grateful for. Uh, over on Facebook, uh, finally, we have Eric, who says... A classic 90s staple and my first introduction to Steven Spielberg, one of my favourite directors. A wonderful blend of majestic childhood wonder and suspenseful terror in its showing of the dinosaurs. The Dilophosaurus scene still gives me an uncomfortable chill to this day, both as animatronic puppets and CGI creations. Has an excellent cast as well, with Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum and the lovely Richard Attenborough as John Hammond. I only wish Bob Peck as Muldoon had survived longer and been able to do the scene in the original book where Muldoon fights raptors with a rocket launcher. That scene was awesome. While I don't watch the film as much as Indiana Jones or Jaws, it still has a special place in my heart as a Spielberg childhood favourite and is one I plan to watch again soon. Hold on to your butts. Thank you, everyone, for getting involved with this episode. Uh, and thank you for your comments. It's always so wonderful to get comments from people. Um, and I'm always so grateful for it as well, because the worst thing that I think could possibly happen is to put out a call for comments on social media and to get literally nothing. Um, so I'm always really grateful for everyone who comments um, and gets involved in the episodes. I've kind of talked a little bit about Jurassic Park and the making of Jurassic Park um, and I'm mindful of the time on this episode as well um, and the fact that I've got another episode to do this week as well um, but with its roots firmly in its kind of sister movie Jaws uh, Jurassic Park defines this kind of big budget concept driven blockbuster but unlike most, it actually stands the test of time in pretty much every regard. While it was original filmmaking in its day, it's now almost dwarfed by its inferior sequels. Although, as I said, I do think Jurassic World is a lot of fun. It's a great example of when Hollywood experiences a momentous shift in its balance and thinking. It then concentrates on exploiting that with generations of similar movies, it's unlikely we'd have 1998's Godzilla movie, for example, without Jurassic Park to inspire it. And a lot of people might be quite unhappy with that fact. Um, but it's kind of true. Uh, whether or not you like 1998's Godzilla, um, without Jurassic Park, it's likely that we would not have that movie. Um, 
And it's why Spielberg himself is often criticised for creating the parents of modern pop culture cinema uh, in Jurassic Park and in Jaws. Um, And shark movies are almost a genre within themselves these days. There are more shark movies being released than I think pretty much any other monster movie um, to varying degrees of excellence. Um, Because for every The Meg, which I think is a lot of fun too, there's Sharknado 5. I'll be honest, I've not seen Jaws in a very, very long time uh, because Jaws really does frighten me. Um, But I am a massive fan of Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea, obviously also starring Samuel L. Jackson. Um, Again, I thought that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's no Jaws, obviously. Um, But anyway, I'm going to go back to my conclusion. So the point that I'm trying to make is humans are fascinated with monsters, uh, but also fascinated with conquering them and also fascinated with power and the ability to create life, to splice genes and to birth clones. Um, But Ian Malcolm, as a chaos mathematician, sums it up because humans are selfish enough to believe that they are the dominant species. And with the ability to believe that they have the power of infinite creation, what's to stop them other than another dominant species? And I think that's really interesting to think about. Uh, Jurassic Park, in many ways, asks more questions than it answers. Um, And I think for a blockbuster movie, that's really important. It's important to be able to walk away from something like this, entertained and scared, (laughs) um, but also to ask questions about humanity and ethics and morals Is it really right for us to rely so heavily on creational science? What is the real benefit of doing so? That's a bit of a weird thing to end the episode on, but... Oh well, Jurassic Park's really great. It makes me think about science. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, thank you for listening to this very special episode of Verbal Diorama. Uh, and as always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Jurassic Park. Um, I will hasten to add, there was so much that I wanted to talk about in this episode. There was so much information out there about Jurassic Park, about the making of Jurassic Park, the theories behind Jurassic Park, the science behind Jurassic Park. Um, there was There was so much that it was a little bit overwhelming for me. And the fact that I've not long put an episode out on X-Men and I only had a short amount of time to get an episode out on Jurassic Park, it's my fault, really, for (laughs) scheduling Jurassic Park in um, so close after uh, X-Men. But there was so much more that I wanted to talk about. Jurassic Park is so all-encompassing and so rich, in in content um but i hope that i've covered the basics at least and maybe enough to kind of start a conversation on social media if you wish um about jurassic park uh because i really would love to hear your thoughts on jurassic park and if you do like this episode or any episode um that i've done 
I would absolutely love it if you would take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. I've had some lovely five-star ratings recently, so thank you so much for giving me those. It always gives me a bit of a boost and it is literally the best way to show that you enjoy these episodes and the fact that I do genuinely try and work the hardest that I possibly can on them. Um, The other thing you can do is tell your friends, um, get them to download it, Uh, especially if they're a fan of Jurassic Park maybe they will learn something that they didn't know maybe (laughs) they will get in touch with me on social media and say well actually you missed this I know I missed a lot in Jurassic Park I just really wanted to get an episode out ASAP so um, yeah I'm sorry if I missed a vital bit of information Uh, was not my intention As I now have uh, 57 episodes, um, I previously used to list all of the episodes that I've done, but instead what I do now is I go through my previous episodes and I recommend similarly themed episodes that if you like Jurassic Park, you might also like. So uh, if you liked this episode on Jurassic Park, you might also like episode 13, The Mummy, um, because that's kind of a very fun action adventure creature feature. Um, and it's literally the greatest movie ever made. Uh, episode 16, Willow, uh, because I mentioned that this episode and Phil Tippett's work in that movie is beautiful. Uh, episode 17, The Iron Giant, because it was last year's birthday episode and you should not only listen to my episode on The Iron Giant, you should watch The Iron Giant because it's brilliant. Uh, episode 41, uh, which is Tremors, because Tremors has some more great practical creature effects that are very, very brilliant. And I've mentioned it several times this episode, episode 48, The Thing, for Stan Winston, obviously, uh, but mainly for Rob Bottin's creatures, uh, because Stan Winston was not as involved in that movie as Rob Bottin was. And it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Obviously, give me feedback. Uh, Do you think that I got these episodes right? Do you think I missed any? Um, Let me know. The next episode is going to be on this Thursday, so three days from today, if you're downloading it on release day, and it's a reappearance for the late Heath Ledger. I said to you when I did the episode on A Knight's Tale that Heath Ledger would be returning, um, and I always intended him to return for this movie, um, because this was kind of the movie that really cemented his career. It really got him noticed by... Hollywood and by many, many hearts across the world um, with his starring role in a high school adaptation of William Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, Uh, along with Clueless, which is also an episode of them, by the way. It's one of the 90s most enduring high school comedies, as well as being based on classic literature. And I love it, baby. (laughs) I'm such a loser. Uh So the next episode is going to be on 10 Things I Hate About You. And I hope that you will join me in a few days for that. Um, And you can find any of my other 56 episodes in your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, before 10 Things I Hate About You comes out, if you wish. Obviously, if you wish to follow me on social media and chat to me about Jurassic Park, feel free. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and also have a Letterboxd account as well. You can sign up to support the show financially if you want to. There is no obligation. I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. You get some lovely little perks. You get the upcoming schedule. You get early release episodes. Um, And so I need to say a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast, to Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, 
Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike and Griff. They're the scientists who were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should support this podcast and I am very grateful to them for that. If you want to get in touch with me on email, it's verbaldiorama at gmail.com or my website is verbaldiorama.com and I also write for film stories so you can pop over to filmstories.co.uk you can see the articles that I write online you can order copies of the magazine Um, and it's really important that you show your support to independent publications especially right now and you can do that by visiting the site uh, clicking on links or as I said buying some magazines and finally creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Bye! Movie should know.